Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. This is Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. And now, your host, Matthew Kanata, joined by co-hosts Josh Houts and Aaron Sutton. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Finsider Radio. This is Matt Kanata, joined by Aaron Sutton and Joshua Houts. This week on Finsider Radio, we are going to talk briefly about the Dolphins' schedule release. We're going to then touch on all of the defensive linemen. Not all the defensive linemen. We'd be here for hours upon hours. We're going to give you a few defensive linemen to keep your eye on in the upcoming NFL draft, who the Dolphins likely have their eyes on, both in the first round and a possible second or third round guy. The Dolphins desperately need some edge rushers. They desperately need to fill up the depth on their defensive line. And this is a great draft for them to do so. All signs point in the first round, barring any major surprises. The Dolphins will either go defensive line or offensive line. On our last episode of Finsider Radio, we talked about the offensive linemen who the Dolphins may be targeting in the first round and in the mid rounds. If you have not listened to that, please be sure to go back in time and check that out as we name off quite a few prospects and all of their strengths and weaknesses and what they could bring to the Miami Dolphins football team. The NFL draft is just over a week away. Round one on Thursday, April 25th. Rounds two, three, and four on Friday, April 26th. And the balance of the draft on Saturday, April 27th. The Dolphins, of course, pick 13th overall in the first round. And it is going to be the fourth time in team history that they have picked 13th overall. Their previous picks at number 13, 1977, A.J. Dewey, the linebacker from LSU, 1981, David Overstreet, the running back from Oklahoma, and of course, just a few years ago, Laramie Tunsil, the tackle from Mississippi. We all know that story. The Miami Dolphins have, right now, as it stands, seven selections, one in each round except the sixth round. They have two in the seventh round. The Dolphins are, of course, looking to trade back and accumulate those picks both this year and next year. Chris Greer in his press conference on Wednesday morning said that basically he looks at the draft as if he can find three starters out of it, it is a success. He essentially said, you know, finding three starters is the goal and everything else is gravy, and that would basically be depth and backups along the different positions on the field. So when you look at Chris Greer's drafts over the years, you can see that so far he's pretty much been on track, although he needs to hit on more. And I feel like he needs to get maybe, you know, three starters as a perfectly reasonable thing, but then two quality backups or depth pieces that can rotate in there and really make an impact and make that statement. The problem is, though, some of them have been offensive linemen, defensive linemen, guys that have not made a huge impact in the overall grand scheme of things. Can the Dolphins find that guy this year? Time will tell. We'll find out in just over a week from now. Before we jump right into the draft and, and talk about all the different options for the Dolphins on the defensive line, I want to touch on the schedule release. That being released today at 8 o'clock p.m. 
Eastern Standard Time today being Wednesday as we record this. But many schedule leaks leaks came out through the day. I had uh, quite a few of them. Our friend Travis Wingfield from Lockdown Dolphins had a lot of them as well. Was able to cover the balance of the remaining games that were open in the schedule throughout the day. And of course, all the other beat reporters filling in and so forth. And uh, there's some initial reactions, but we all know at this time of the year, the schedule basically means nothing because injuries happen, teams change, the draft changes everything, and so forth. So for you, Houts, you know, looking at the Dolphins' schedule thus far and seeing what you have in terms of what we can expect this coming season, where do you see the Dolphins faring, and what do you think maybe, you know, the roughest part of the schedule, easiest part of the schedule, any shuns there, any uh, advantages they may have? What are your initial thoughts? Well, let's be honest. As soon as this season begins, we're going to have a pretty damn good idea of what this team is. They open the season against the Ravens and the Patriots, then on the road against Cowboys and then the Chargers. I mean, right there are four playoff teams from last season. So we're going to get a pretty good early indication of what this Miami Dolphins team is. Uh, it's a tough schedule. I mean, you look down the list. I'm excited for that Browns game. Hopefully we can go to that, the three of us. Uh, you know, the Eagles be nice. down there in Miami, and then they have two games back-to-back at MetLife. It, it's just a weird schedule overall. I think if you're hoping for a quarterback in 2020, you look at this schedule, things are kind of aligning, and you hope Ryan Fitzpatrick keeps eating cake because if that happens with this schedule, the Dolphins <laughs> could go 3-13, and 13 and, and things could there look is good a, next season. There is a really good chance the Dolphins could start the season 0-4 heading into their first uh, into that bye week on week five. There is a really good chance they can start 0-4. No question. And I don't know that – I mean, we knew if we were going to play a certain team on the road or at home, so – I don't know that the specific order of the way we're going to do things is going to be that much of a deterrent from what was going to happen anyway, which is, uh, you know, looking at a, a five-win ball club. Yeah, and let's be honest. The, the best part about this is for fans like us to look at this schedule and kind of start to decide how we're going to use those vacation days, how we're going to go to some of these games because – I mean, who who cares what day it falls on? You know, maybe the players do. Like you said, maybe weather is an indication here or there. But at the end of the day, we want this schedule to be released so we can see those key matchups, so we can see the Ryan Fitzpatrick revenge games. But ultimately, we want to know what days we need to take off so we can go to those games because as fans, that's our number one goal. We want to go to these games. We want to be there rooting our team on. And now that the schedule's released, we can start putting into those PTO days. Well, and those, you know, that MetLife game that we went to, that was what, week 15? I mean, that, that was yeah. late. That was I mean, a hell of a time. Oh, I mean, just, but Not it was more. a night was... game. It was cold. I mean, we, we dealt with just about any wet weather related thing that you could deal with. And I was all pissed off because my flight got delayed and stuff like that. And we still yeah. had a great time. So, you know, Cleveland in late November, you know, that Cleveland is gorgeous uh, once you get close to the winter. But, um, I, I think we could make the most of it for sure. So let's see if we can do that. Have you guys planned any games you're going to yet? Well, I, you know, live 15 minutes, 20 minutes from the stadium. So I'm definitely going to the November game, whether you jerk offs get there or not. But you brag a lot I, about living in Cleveland, huh? I wear yeah. it on my sleeve. I wear it on my sleeve, baby. I, I remember when that was like a derogatory comment, and now, you know, the Cleveland Browns are <laughs> Super Bowl contenders all of a sudden. But 
Right. Look at this schedule. Sign. Are you a closet <laughs> Browns fan, sign? You should be. <laughs> no, I, I Son, definitely, I definitely support Cleveland everything as much as I possibly can. I mean, I wear Dolphins gear every other day to work, so people know where my real allegiance lies. But I'm always like shooting shade at Browns fans and the day that they. They made the trade for Odell Beckham Jr. All these dads are walking around where I work just like they saw boobs for the first time. Just this amazing <laughs> grin. I mean, yeah, Browns fans, as as awesome as it was to have LeBron here and win a championship, Cleveland will be a football town, probably always will be. Listen, you know me, and I've said it plenty of times. I used to think Cleveland was the worst city possible just because of the perception. But when I went there with my friends and cousins a few years ago, we saw you and met you for the. And I got drunk after uh, one beer. There are two beers there. Um, Cleveland is a hell of a city. (laughs) That is one hell of a city. And I was telling people on Twitter earlier, you know, if you're going to a game, they were talking about what kind of games they should go to. They're looking at Cleveland. And I said, absolutely go to Cleveland. I mean, there is so much to do in Cleveland. Uh, you got all the stadiums right next to each other, basically. You can walk across the street from Progressive Field where the Indians play to Quicken Loans Arena yeah. where the Cavaliers play, go a mile down the road and see where the Browns play. A mile or so from there, you go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, the casino. Just, just to see how well, your casino was trash over there. But, uh, <laughs> just the scenery, the bars, the, the restaurant scene, the, the spicy food that's over there. All you eat is spicy food in Cleveland, it feels like. It's just a really nice, vibrant city. And if you ever get the chance to go to Cleveland, uh, definitely take that chance and go because it is fun. And if uh, college basketball is your thing, March Madness is going to be here next year. So I'm nice. going to take one of my one of my sons to it. One of your 12 sons. One of <laughs> this call me Phil Riv, baby. I mean, Cleveland was so fun that I went back this year with my with my two cousins. We uh, stopped in Cleveland for about a day and a half before we went down to the Cincinnati Bengals game. And uh, that's just how much we loved Cleveland. It, it's just a lot of fun. So if you're considering where to go, besides Miami, of course, but if you want to go on the road and go to a different game, absolutely do consider Cleveland because you will have one hell of a time in that city. It okay, true, true, true or Perry. false? True Great or Lakes false. Brewery, too. Don't Drew forget that. Perry, yeah. Drew Carey's theme song did say Cleveland Rocks, right? Wasn't Cleveland, that part of the Cleveland Rocks. Yeah. True, true or false? If we move the nation's capital from Washington, D.C. to Cleveland, Ohio, the world the would be a better gonna, place. Who's the hell is going to move the nation's capital to Cleveland, yeah, Ohio? Please don't do that. Let's, let's not get ahead of it. They got Mayfield, they got Beckham, they got Landry, but come on. Come on, sign. You guys want to talk some football? We're going to put you on mute the rest of the night. Let's talk about balls. Hey, I, I took a let's, chance. All right. Let's, let's talk about balls. All right. Let's <laughs> jump into the defensive defensive end part of the draft. Uh, the Dolphins, like I said, have that need uh, to fill on, on their um, roster there. Over time, over the history of the franchise, the Dolphins have made 624 total selections in the NFL draft. For defensive ends, they have only um, drafted, I believe it is, let's see here, 99 defensive linemen. Um, their most was 113 offensive linemen, and right after that was defensive back at 98. So the Dolphins are no strangers to drafting defensive ends in the NFL draft over the course of their history, and they should not be any strangers um, with this regime as well. 
it's no secret that when you want to have a sustained success on the defensive side of the football, it's not about sacks. It's not about your best corners. It's definitely not about your best linebackers. It's about getting pressure on the quarterback. So that's why for me, getting that edge rusher is the most important position on the entire defense. And I would say that it is the most important position on the entire football team besides quarterback. Um, and I know if you're out there listening, supposedly I can't say quarterback the right way, but whatever, deal with it. Uh, <laughs> defensive end, and there is no shortage of talent in this year's draft. And the Dolphins, if they stay put at 13, they're going to have their pick of the litter for the defensive linemen. And we're just going to give you a few people to, to uh, think about, a few prospects to really maybe take another second look at. I can tell you based on the short list that I've heard, as far as defensive players go, if the Dolphins are sitting at 13 and any of these players are available, they would likely pull the trigger on one of them. I don't know what the order is. I know there's some offensive linemen in the mix as well, but I've just been focusing on the defensive guys really. And that is the following uh, Brian Burns. I know he hasn't been out there in a lot of, you know, quote unquote inside reports, but I have heard that name linked to them. I've heard about Montez Sweat, uh, and I've heard about Rashawn Gary as well. In terms of, you know, like I said, who they would draft, I have no idea. Um, I don't know where they stand on that and so forth, but Montez Sweat, Brian Burns, and Rashawn Gary are all options for the Dolphins at 13 or so I've been told. Now, Sutton, you're going to talk about a guy named Cleland Farrell. I did not list him on my short list, but as we had Kevin Nogle, the uh, owner of the Finsider.com, he mentioned something interesting where he said there was a lot of smoke at first, but over time that kind of smoke disappeared. And he was wondering out loud if that's a sign that Dolphins got a hold of that leak and nipped it in the bud so people don't realize their true intentions for the NFL draft. What can you tell us about Farrell? Got a chance to see him interview at the Combine and – you like his background. He has military parents, so he kind of comes from a strict background, but he has a sense of humor about it. He seems to have a very high football IQ, the way he was describing some of Clemson's schematics and what his role was in that defense. Just seemed like a guy that just eats and breathes football, and you talk Chris Greer, you're talking about football guys. You have the connection with Marion Hobbyist, a defensive line coach uh, for the Dolphins now who worked with Clemson there for a few years. So there's some familiarity there. Um, I think he does – he's not quite the edge rusher that would be looking for, okay? So I, I believe he – does fit in a five technique sort of situation. So this is a player that would line on the outside shoulder of the tackle. I believe he could function well in a four, three defensive end, but I also think he has the flexibility to be in a three defensive line situation. So I think that puts his versatility, you know, by virtue of that, kind of puts him at a premium with what the Dolphins will be looking for because think about where we stand with a defensive line. Okay, we have Devon Godshaw and we have Vincent Taylor who will likely be playing one techniques and, and three techniques. So we're looking at guys that are playing nose tackle but also playing like a traditional 4-3 defensive tackle. 
But then when you look at the defensive end group, Charles Harris, we saw something about him getting linebacker reps. So that tells me that they want him coming off the edge. And that makes sense to me. He's not. Which is where he should have been all along. Right. So he's not the five technique that we're looking for. So who are we going to play on the defensive line when we bring three defensive linemen in? Because we will undoubtedly see that defensive formation. You're going to see five defensive backs almost every single snap. So where the variation is, is are you going to play three defensive linemen or four defensive linemen? And I think in either situation, you can see Cleveland Farrell fitting in there somewhere. And I think he's too good against the run and he's too good with his hands to not be able to play a five technique. So I think because of his versatility, because of his background, I, and I will admit that he has, he's a higher floor, lower ceiling kind of guy, but I think a safe pick in the building stages of something like what we're going through here, we need to check some boxes. We need to get some kind of consistent production. We can't expect to just knock it out of the park every single time. We're going to have to mitigate some risk. And I think Cleveland Farrell does give us enough. Um, And some of these guys that we end up projecting as, high floor, low ceiling, end up doing a little bit better than we expect. But I think he would serve such a huge role in what the Dolphins need right this minute. And I think the Dolphins are very high on Farrell. Um, I just think he'd be a trade-down candidate. I had mentioned the guys who I think will be there at 13. The Dolphins will pull the trigger on. I didn't mention Ed Oliver. But he is also another one there the Dolphins will pull the trigger on. Just don't know if he's going to last that long. But Farrell's definitely in play just as a guy who would be a trade-down candidate if they don't want to stay at 13. I'm going to jump over to Montez Sweat, and this is a guy who the Dolphins would select there. I believe, I firmly believe, if he was there at 13, the Dolphins would not look to trade down unless they thought they could still get him a few picks later. Sweat coming from Mississippi State, a redshirt senior, 22, almost 23 years old. will be 23 when the season begins in September, actually born on September 4th, the day before me, two days after my son, Uh, A lot of September birthdays tend to be one of the greatest people on this planet. So if you were born in September, you are right there with myself, Montez Sweat, and my child, my son. Montez Sweat was a three-star, ironically enough, a three-star tight end coming out of high school. Uh, He was a standout in football and basketball. He averaged 12.3 points a game and 8.1 rebounds as a senior for basketball and also received college basketball offers. On the football field, though, he was a he was better tight end and sometimes played both ways on his high school team who would rush the passer as well. He was actually considered a top 60 tight end recruit in the country. Committed to Vanderbilt before going over to uh, Michigan State, and then that's where the Spartans moved him to defense full-time. However, there are some red flags here because Sweat played in two games in 2014, took a redshirt year, was suspended most of 2015 for a violation of team rules, left the program. The next year, he also left for personal reasons. After one season at the JUCO level, he was highly sought after again and committed to Mississippi State over LSU and Texas A&M. Now, Sweat, some people say that one of his strengths, he has the uh, light-footedness out of his stance, Long strides, which are obviously important as a defensive end, 
to get to the quarterback as fast as possible. What else also good about Sweat is he has good run awareness and play identification. And basically, if you're a defensive end and you cannot set the edge, you're kind of useless on all three downs. And we saw that with Cameron Wake towards the end of his career here in Miami, where he wasn't able to set the edge as effectively and would get washed out of run plays. And when that happens, you're really only good in obvious passing situations and on third down. So Sweat is a three-down player. Played in the SEC, so obviously knows great competition. Probably needs to add on a little weight as he gets into the NFL. Doesn't have the greatest bend. uh, Is a little stiff coming out of his stance. And just kind of really play his size and and a little bigger than that. The problem is sometimes he over-pursues the play over Totally uh, with Greer and the Patriots and Parcells' philosophy of getting guys who were, you know, three or four year starters and who have proven success throughout their college career. However, his intangibles and his stats are kind of off the charts here because since the start of 2017, his 22 sacks are the second most by any Power Five FBS player during that span. A guy in front of him, Josh Allen, who's expected to go in the top five or 10, uh, he formed a dominant defensive line duo with Jeffrey Simmons who tore his ACL. Now that could be a target too for the Dolphins. We're not going to talk about Simmons tonight, but he is someone the Dolphins can possibly rely on um, towards the end of this year and then going into 2020 for sure. Sweat can play in both a 3-4 and a 4-3, which is highly important with Brian Flores and his scheme that he wants to implement here. And he is a definite option for the Dolphins. I know he's a little polarizing topic here, but if the Dolphins come away with Montez Sweat, uh, depending on who else is on the board, but uh, in a nutshell, I would not be disappointed if that was their pick. Yeah, I was just going to say, and you mentioned Jeffrey Simmons. I mean, he might be the best player on that Mississippi defense, but, yeah. but mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. we're going to see where he ends up. You know, it could be a similar situation with the Cowboys did a few years ago uh, with Jalen Samuels. Sorry, Jalen Smith. They they got the linebacker there. They invested a year knowing they was hurt and he turned into be one of the best linebackers in the NFL last season. So it's worth the risk, especially if you're a team that's tanking. But for me, I mean, I feel like Chris Greer, you know, he, I know you won't get this reference, Kanata Sutton might, but he almost has that brand Stark thing to him. You know, he kind of foresaw that Charles Harris was eventually <laughs> going to get that chance as an outside linebacker because why else would he I have no him? idea who brand Stark is. Yeah. That, that's he's your a, fault. He's that's, a three eyed Raven. That should clear yeah. things up for you, Matthew. Yeah. Shame on you for You're not talking understanding. About some game of Thrones crap. I'm done here. Shame on you. But, but All the, right, fine. See ya. The, the pass rusher <laughs> I want to talk about and Kanata, you need to watch game of Thrones. You're, you're a turd for not doing that. <laughs> The pass rusher I want to talk about is Brian Burns. And I know people have issues with his size. He's 6'5", 249 pounds. You know, he's a little bit lanky. But what the guy did to combine, a 4.5340, you know, the vertical jump, 36 inches, 129 broad jump, three cone, 7.01. He completely destroyed the combine. And when you turn on the tape, you see a guy that can play all over that defensive line. He can move around. You know, he can drop back in coverage, hand in the dirt, standing up. He'd be perfect fizz and outside linebacker, a pass rusher. That had great success last year. It was his best season. Uh, the fine folks over at Pro Football Focus gave him an 86.7 grade. Uh, Ten quarterback hits, eight sacks, 48 hurries. I mean, this guy was an absolute menace last season. For me, Brian Burns is that guy. I know a lot of people haven't been talking about him being mocked to the Miami Dolphins. Uh, I don't even know if the Miami Dolphins visited with him, to be completely honest. But I see a guy that's an elite player that may fall out of the top ten for one reason or the next. But I think if he adds to that frame at the next level, the Miami Dolphins are going to have a pass rusher that they can rely on for many, many years. 
Uh, he is my number one target uh, there at 13. I like Cleveland Farrell. I think he fits all those boxes. You know, he might not be the sexy pass rush pick, but what that guy can do in the run game, you know, he, he's a very, very good player that can do a lot of things very, very good. You know, I, I kind of almost see a, you know, younger version of William Hayes, you know, a guy that can have those heavy hands in the run game. You know, he, he can get to the quarterback. He can do all the little things. I like got to see that Mary. What's that? I said, I like that comparison. Yeah. And, and you got to, yeah. and you got to love that hobby. Uh, you know, the, you, you see that they had that time together. You got to see the fit there for me though. I mean, if the dolphins get any of these guys, I I'm like Kanata, I see quarterback as the number one need. And then after that's pass rusher. Cause right now you got Charles Harris. And after that you got Charles Harris. Okay, but here's something that I've seen, and I'm almost sensing that the group think right now is to get an offensive lineman in the first round and then get defensive line in the second round. So with that being said, because it is certainly possible, offensive linemen kind of artificially get pushed up the board because there's fewer good ones and there is pretty solid depth for this defensive line group. So let's think about guys that maybe say we do go a Jonah Williams or a Cody Ford or a Garrett Bradbury, or, you know, we trade down and get someone like Chris Lindstrom. I'm looking and I'll stick with Chris Lindstrom. I, I just kind of accidentally said that, but it leads me right into the defensive end for them. And that's Zach Allen. And I, you know, I was mentioned five tech technique earlier and I think Zach Allen is the type who can play a two-gap system, so control both a B and a C gap and have the strength and the versatility and the IQ to be able to to do those things. So I really like him in a later round. He probably, what I've seen, is uh, proposed as a third-round draft pick kind of objectively, but you also have to take into the f- account what – certain teams are trying to do. So we're these values that people have are all relative, depending on what prism you're looking through, what type of scheme are you going for? You might value uh, another team's fifth round draft pick as I might value that as a second round draft pick, because that's exactly the type of niche that I'm looking for. So don't ignore the fact that once we get into day two and day three, that teams are looking to fill niches. And for me, Zach Allen fits a very important niche because a we have a crisis of quantity at defensive end. We don't we don't have the guys to even field a a good defensive line right now. So we we have to be able to address those things. But he also brings the type of versatility that that doesn't pigeonhole other players. So he's uh, a guy like Zach Allen coming in who is incredibly strong very good with his hands and you like the IQ. He knows how to play football and he's just, he's, he's one of those guys and you, you try to not pigeonhole certain players, but he's a high effort guy and you're, you're going to get everything out of him every snap. And he's the type of player who uh, is going to affect a locker room in a positive way. If it's not Zach Allen, another guy that may fit the mold for the Dolphins is Ben Bonogu from TCU. And he had a top 30 visit with the Dolphins, I believe it was last week. From what I understand, the Dolphins like him a lot. From what I also understand, a lot of other teams like him just as much. Um, I'm sorry, that's Banagoo, not Bonogu. Banagoo. 
Banigou, originally projected to go in the fourth and fifth round, could go as high as the second or third. And I think he might be too rich for the Dolphins in the mid-second. I think he's a trade-down candidate in the second. I don't think he'll be there for the Dolphins in the mid-third when they pick again. Banigou was a two-star defensive end recruit out of high school. Born in Nigeria, actually, moved to the United States along with his family when he was just six months old. So really didn't know Nigeria uh, growing up six months old. You're not going to remember anything. And he actually played quarterback much of his life until his sophomore year of high school. He actually played with Davis Webb, and Davis Webb transferred to another school, and Banigou took over. Banigou got hurt his junior year, broken leg, and he posted um, 10.5 sacks as a senior, also playing two ways there, earned third-team All-State honors, also played basketball and ran track at his high school, and won several honors there. Went under-recruited as the number 472 player in the 2014 recruiting class and redshirted in 2014 after signing with Louisiana Monroe and then had a breakout freshman campaign in 2015, which then prompted interest from TCU. Obviously joined to TCU and played every game in the last two years for TCU and participated in this year's Senior Bowl. Some good things about Managu, some strengths. Loose body, loose lower body, which is important for flexibility and bending and turning around the corner. You're not going to have any trouble with his speed. Um, he can track down the runner, the receiver, whoever it might be on the field. He is going to close that gap and get to that player or at least close the gap enough for someone else to catch up to that player. He is, you know, when they say Cameron Wake took care of his body like you couldn't imagine. That's what some people say about Manigou as well, that he just takes tremendous care of his body and extremely ripped, uh, very toned with muscle. I, and, I think he guy, – sorry to interrupt you there, but I, th I think he had like the best broad jump ever or something like that for a defensive lineman at the combine. I'm, I'm going to look that up right now since I was there. But His, uh, broad, his I, broad jump was 11 feet 2 inches. So we're talking about a world-class athlete right now. Yeah, that was a defensive and, line, defensive lineman record. And I, I talked to somebody who knows him very well, and uh, TCU didn't use him in a way that they TCU kind of likes. They, they like plug-and-play yeah. players, so they they want robots. They want guys to come in and do play a specific role and do what they're told and and do that. And I think right. uh, this is kind of the first time in his life where he's like, hey, I'm a world-class athlete, and maybe I can do yep. some other things. So this might be a guy where um, you know, he's got a high ceiling. Yeah, I mean, he needs, obviously has some weaknesses. What player doesn't have a weakness unless you're the number one overall pick or whatever? Um, he needs to get some more power, absolutely. He needs to get some more flexibility in his hips while he has a loose lower body, has some tightness in his hips. And he just needs to learn how to, you know, really stunt across the line and, and get through the gaps and, and finish off the play. Um, he's not going to probably be a three-down player from the very first day. He's going to be more there in passing situations, obviously, obvious passing downs, and can move all over the line as well and possibly to the linebacker spot there. Uh, again, the Dolphins do like him. Uh, they want him to play multiple positions across the line and in the linebacker area. Whether or not the Dolphins will get a chance to draft remains to be seen, but the interest is real there. Now, Houts, uh, I know you have a guy who you like a lot, and this guy will probably go before this second round. Um, 
maybe not before the second round, but definitely by the end of the second round. I don't think he'll be there for the middle of Miami's uh, pick there in the second round, but stranger things have happened. Who do you got for us that you're going to talk about next? Yo, first, I just want to touch on it, and I think it is the right way to go about things the way Sutton said. You know, offensive line, as sexy as that pick is not, that's kind of the way this team should lean in the first round, barring that an elite player falls into their lap. Because when you look at this 2019 class, the defensive uh, defensive line position is just stacked with talent. We see these edge rushers. We see the talent in the middle. This draft is loaded. So the Dolphins go out there, they can get a starter immediately on the offensive line, come back around in round two and get a very good pass rusher. We're talking about these guys, the Zach Allens, uh, the Bag- Baganos. You know, you, you got these guys. I'm going to talk about Chase Winovich, and we know that Stephen Ross is a Michigan man. We know that his one true love, Chase Winovich, plays like his ha- ha- hair is on fire. I mean, it's a guy who he ran a 4.5940, uh, 30.5 vertical jump, 116-inch broad jump. I mean, the guy just plays like, again, like his hair is on fire. He's all over the field. He's got that Kiko Alonso, you know, not so much in coverage because Kiko Alonso is terrible in coverage. But, you know, Kiko Alonso can make those plays. He runs around from sideline to sideline. Chase Winovich, I might say, is a more refined Kiko Alonso. You know, what he did last year, PFF has him as the number two edge uh, edge defender against the run. I mean, the Miami Dolphins have been atrocious against the run. So he brings that to the table. He's had 21 sacks over his four-year career at Michigan, 36 QB hits, 80 hurries. I mean, the guy can do it all. So for me, if if you're not getting a guy in round one, you're definitely not relying on Charles Harris and Jerron Elliott next year. Uh, so you need to bring in a pass rusher. And I think a guy like Chase Winovich, like Kanata said, he might not be there when the Dolphins pick in round two. But if you trade back, you accumulate another Early second round pick, you know, that's when a, a target like a Winovich could become available. Again, the Michigan ties can do everything. I think he'd be a very, very good fit for Brian Flores and his defense. Quick story about Winovich from the Combine. He was the only person that I saw interviewed that got testy with, an, with somebody who asked a question. And huh. basically, he was asked you know, uh, about being a try hard guy. And that wasn't the verbatim question, but that was kind of what was hinted at with the way the question was asked. And so he opens it up and he says, you know, I kind of feel like he teed me up with this question, uh, but it's a very fine line to be walking, being a try hard white guy. And then the reporter it's like, oh, you know, that's not what I really, what I really meant. And he's like, yeah, okay, yeah, I got you. But, um, <laughs> and kind of proceeded with his answer. And I kind of liked it, to be honest with you. I don't want to see, I don't want to see, pre- you know, pre-prepared answers for all these things. And I don't want to see a bunch of dudes just shaking each other's hands and having fake smiles and all this kind of stuff. Let's just, let's talk, you know? So I'm kind of glad that I saw that little bit of a, almost a resentment towards the thought that the only reason that he was where he was at was because he tried really hard. And how you mentioned, he's, he's got solid measurables. Okay. It's not like the guy's not an athlete. He's got production. He played at a major program. So, there's a lot of guys who like him and I could even see him crawling into the end of 
of round one for somebody because I think he brings, you know, the the overriding theme despite the fact that I heard him not snap, but just, you know, just get a little bit like, hey, you know, enough is enough. But the overwhelming feeling that I got was, hey, he just wants to come to a club and contribute. He wants to make it better than what he arrived with. And I think that just speaks volumes to Chase. And I think he's going to be a great football player no matter where he goes. You know, another guy from Michigan that I really want to touch on before you jump into the linebacker swap, because I know you guys are going to touch on that quickly before we wrap up the show, is Rashawn Gary. And uh, he's going to be an option there for the Dolphins at 13 if they stay there. Rashawn Gary is an absolute freak, an athletic freak. And people think that he could be one of the better players that comes out of this draft, only going to be 21 when the season begins. In the 2016 recruiting class, listen to this. Gary was not only ranked as the number one player in the state and the number one player in the country, he was also the number one ranked recruit all time according to 247 composite ratings. And this was since the year 2000. Got offers from Alabama, Auburn, USC, Clemson. Chose Michigan over Clemson. And the guy is just gifted. He's very gifted for his size. Flashes explosive quickness. Light feet. When you look at this guy, you know, it's it's everything that you want in an edge rusher. Yes, weaknesses. Needs to get better at rushing the pass. Needs to get better with his moves. Needs to understand the different techniques there. Um, he's young, so concerns are there about his maturity and whether or not he can handle the NFL and everything that comes with it. There are some red flags with his injuries. Uh, suffered some a few of his first two seasons at Michigan. Injured his right shoulder prior to 2018, but did try to play through it. He missed three games there. Um, essentially, he's a two-year starter at Michigan. Played with the hand on the ground. Sometimes jumped into the middle of the line. Played over the tackle spot there. Um, but again, his talent is phenomenal. Now, when you look at Gary, there's also that high risk factor, that boomer bust factor, because he has that rare athletic talent. But his development wasn't fully there. Um, there's eight pass rushers in this coming draft class that had more sacks in 2018 than Gary had in his entire career at 10.5. But again, as Sutton kind of alluded to with Ben Banigou, sometimes that's all about scheme and the scheme that you're asked to do and the role that you're asked to play. So yes, there's questions about his sack total. And some people compare him to a Charles Harris or a Dion Jordan where that potential is there, but it can never be fully unleashed. Um, so that's going to be a situation the Dolphins have talked through and are finalizing their draft boards if they haven't already. And we'll see where Gary falls on that ladder. I know as counterintuitive as is to, to think, you know, w- when you look at the Dolphins landscape and where the holes are on a- across the team, you can't, it's you almost have to go conservative. I know. I know. It, you think like, oh, what do we have to lose? We're gonna get the first pick next year, and you know we have holes everywhere. Let's just shoot for the fences. I I disagree. I think this is where you have to start building your army. I mean, this is you need to get some reliable guys that are gonna be with your organization for a few years, and that some guys that you can count on. So that's why I in this particular draft 
I'm looking at more high floor guys and I'm looking a little bit more conservatively as a decision maker. And then when I'm looking at my draft capital for 2020 and I see what I have so far and hopefully I'm able to add to that either throughout the season or in this draft, then you can get a little bit more aggressive because you have more room for error. You have more picks to mitigate the potential losses that you make. But uh, with all that being said, wanted to just throw something to Houts real quick uh, about the linebacker position because, the, you know, the way I see it, it just kind of falls flat in a certain way in terms of positions of need for the Dolphins. There's just – I won't ignore the fact that it's not perfect, but there are certainly other – positions and more disarray than the linebacker and it happens to fit where I think where linebacker value is in this draft and that's going to be late day two day three a guy that I'm looking at somewhere in day three would be TJ Edwards from Wisconsin he is the two down run thumper that you're traditionally looking for in a, a Patriots type of inside linebacker so I think he's just a a big dude. He's he's from the Big Ten, and they one of the few college conferences that still value running the football and playing stout defense, and just a solid program all around. They're going to um, they're they're going to be smart guys, and they might be a little bit limited athletically, but from what I saw from the the Patriots scheme. With the inside linebackers, they they do kind of value the thumpers. They they value the big dudes because that enables them to play three defensive linemen, and they can control the line of scrimmage with bigger dudes that are able to uh, control the B gaps, and then they're able to with five defensive backs out there, they're able to control the passing game a little bit easier. So. I would look for them to look at somebody like TJ Edwards in the late rounds just as specific niche player. And that's kind of what you're looking for late in the draft. Can we, can we fit a niche with some guy? Yeah. And you're absolutely right. And I just want to touch on Rashawn Gary a little bit. I mean, if someone sat here and asked me today who I think the Miami Dolphins could draft their 13, I definitely think I'd put my money on Rashawn Gary just because, you know, if a talent like that falls out of the top 10, a team like the Miami Dolphins who have Steven Ross, who again, his Michigan ties, he has the inside information. You know, I believe Rashawn Gary is one of the highest recruits in Michigan history. I mean, they, they were raving about this guy. He never quite put it all together, but with the right coaching, I think he can be an elite talent. I think at 13, he's very much in play. Sticking to the Michigan ties, for me, I think the linebacker position is pretty good. I love Raekwon McMillan. What Jerome Baker did as a rookie was impressive as hell. Kiko Alonso is good against the run, not so good in the passing game. I think eventually he's going to get traded or be a cap casualty. For me, uh, there, like Sutton said, there's a lot of day two talent, a lot of day three talent. But for me, and I know there's so many other needs, but if you're going to, if, if you look at New England's defense, you know, Sutton said, you need a thumper. You need a guy who can come down there, do that Dante Hightower type role, you know, blitz the quarterback, do everything asked of him. And I think if you're looking for a player like that in this year's class, if you don't think, you know, maybe Raekwon McMillan can do that, maybe Jerome Baker. I think a guy like Devin Bush, and I mean, I know there are two, world-class linebackers in this draft, you know, it's Devin White and it's Devin Bush. And I think if, if White goes early, I think that's kind of the number one guy. I think he might go to Tampa, but if you need a guy that's going to just come right in and be 
honestly, probably your best linebacker. That's Devin Bush. I think what he did at Michigan has been productive for four years. Uh, he's just a worldly talent. And again, he can blitz the quarterback. He can do all those small things that a Brian Flores linebacker would be asked to do. I don't think that's the route the Miami Dolphins will go. I think they'll stick to, you know, the offense, the trenches, the offensive defensive lines there in round one and two. But if you're going linebacker for me, I think you would have to shoot for the stars and you have to get one of those top two talents. I think what will go early. Devin Bush should be that guy. They're saying Devin Bush might be the best linebacker in the entire NFL draft, as you kind of alluded to there. We'll see. And, and he plays uh, with a chip on his shoulder, too. From what I saw from his interview at the Combine, the very first question that I asked him was, hey, do you think your size concerns are overblown? He's like, yeah. And he, yeah. Had, he had no problem talking a minute or two about that. It's going to be interesting to see where he lands up. People are Some people are saying top 10. Some people are saying about – Packers range 12 through 15. Some are saying as low as 20. Um, you never know what the NFL draft all takes is really one surprise or a few dominoes to start falling a few runs here and there and people start panicking and then crazy stuff happens. And that's the beauty of the NFL draft. You can see all these mock drafts that come out and the purpose of mock drafts, as we've talked about before, is not to nail the accuracy of who's going where and when they're going. It's just to really kind of tell you about what they're hearing around the league and, and, you connect the dots. If you read enough mock drafts from the credible people, you can start to connect the dots a little bit and see where a team might be uh, leaning towards in terms of player and position. You've seen a wide array for the Dolphins. You've seen quarterback Dwayne Haskins to the Dolphins. You've even seen Kyler Murray before all that hype came up about him before. It uh, looks like he's now going to go top five, if not number one overall. You've seen guys like Jonah Williams going to the Dolphins. You've seen guys like Brian Burns and Rashawn Gary go to the Dolphins. So you can see the three major positions there, defensive line, offensive line, quarterback. No one knows what they're going to do. It's going to be very interesting with the first year on the floors and Greer and the whole new front office basically at the top there. You got Marvin Allen, Reggie McKenzie. It's going to be fascinating to see this watch, uh, see this draft unfold and how they maneuver the board there to try to get more picks throughout the draft because volume is everything in the NFL draft. No one is ever perfect. Not even the best general managers in the history of the league are perfect. So it's going to be very fun to watch and see how they approach it and what their strategy is. Any last thoughts before we wrap up the show? To speak to your earlier point, what do you guys think about Bill Polian and Charlie Casterly now? Because at one point they were thought of as draft geniuses. Uh, there's a reason why they're not in the NFL anymore. And that's that's my whole point. Bill Polian got very lucky. <laughs> I don't yeah. know that there's any other way to describe it. And that's not a slight. You have to be, you know, it's one of those, you have to be luckier than good sort of things uh, when oh, you're yeah. a general manager of an NFL football team. Cause eventually you're going to be fired for not doing, not getting the talent that you need to, to get on your team. That's just the way Absolutely it is. Are. That's just Absolutely. the way it crumbles, man. I mean, uh, eventually these guys are going to trip up and they're going to be out of job, but, how do I feel about either of those guys? I mean, I'm no expert, but uh, I think those guys are a joke right now. You know, so just take <laughs> this this whole process, man. It's just uh, I love talking about it. These players are going to affect the entire way the NFL evolves. But at the same time, the way it all transpires and which players become good and which teams are the benefactors of those players becoming good. It's all crapshoot, bro, in my opinion. 
Yeah, every single year, it's the same thing. It's a crapshoot. You get lucky, you get unlucky, this and that. You don't know how a player is going to react when they get to the big stage and the lights come on. The lights will come on the next Thursday night for the Dolphins and the 31 other teams in the NFL. And for all the first-round picks that are scheduled to appear at the NFL draft in person and some second-rounders as well. Shameless plug here for ProFootballNetwork.com, which we are uh, running for and you know, kind of updating and not kind of updating. We are updating it every single day with fresh new content. But two of our guys have been credentialed to go down there for the draft. So if you follow Pro Football Network, please be sure to check that out and all the great coverage that we have over there. In addition to the Finsider.com, we will have live coverage and continuous coverage throughout all three days of the NFL draft. We'll be back with you in the next few days or so with our next position preview. We'll talk about the secondary and then when we come back to you next week before the actual draft takes place, we'll break down the quarterbacks. We know the Dolphins are going to pick a quarterback in this draft if the board works out. The question is, when is it going to be and who might it be? We have some answers for you. You're going to have to wait until next week, though, to find out. For Aaron Sutton and Joshua Houts, I am Matt Kanata. This is Finsider Radio. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you next time. That was Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, because we're the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Cause we're the Miami Dolphins